Hello everyone, thanks for tuning in again. You are again listening to Captain Roy's Rusty Rocket Radio Show, the UK Geek Science Fiction, Fantasy and Horror Podcast, episode 496, recorded on Saturday 15th of July 2023 at 002923. Today we are doing something different. As I've said many times in this podcast, it is generally a science fiction, fantasy and horror podcast for all media, everything that I'm consuming. However, occasionally we do gallop off into off-topic forest, leaving the beaten path. And today's episode is one of those. So I'm not really talking about any of that stuff. Today, I'm talking about something quite different, so let us ramble. Oh, and one more thing. I said I was recording on the SM58 recently. I have switched back to the SM7V. Again, out of sheer laziness, because it is just much easier to edit than the 58. That's enough technical nonsense. Let's continue. Before the pandemic, more than two years ago now, about once a month, I would visit London's West End. Not religiously once a month, but a semi-regular pilgrimage that began decades ago now. It originally incorporated a cinema trip and a bite to eat with a friend. But since COVID, all that's gone and I'm stuck in the typical COVID rut. By that I mean the same dire, grinding provincial supermarket runs and the same walking and cycling routes day in, day out. It is sheer drudgery. So, as I said, after a substantial gap of years, on Saturday, that Saturday the 8th of July, I had already arranged a club lunch, which is part of my personal drive to expand my currently non-existent social life. I decided to include, as part of that day, a visit to as many of my old haunts in central London as I could. Some of those visits were pre-planned, others were happy accidents. And before I go on, this is a note really to the people who are reading the blog post that accompanies this episode. Not that you really have to, but if you do, I'd just like to add that the images I took were not that great. Many of the backgrounds are overexposed. They were the final images I took from my unreliable recalcitrant and ailing Honor 9 Lite, which has been recently replaced with a Samsung A14 4G. I have attempted to Photoshop them into some semblance resembling reality. That's just a note for people who are reading the blog post. 
As for the title of the blog post, well, I couldn't think of anything that creative, so I just went for alliteration, and it's Lapsed Londoner Limps London. All very accurate, though hardly incredibly imaginative. Before we get to the London bit, I had to actually get there from the home counties some 50 miles away where I live. And so, a few days before the trip, I spent several extremely frustrating hours trying to book a return ticket. And by the way, don't worry, this isn't going to be the longest podcast where I talk about every single aspect of the trip, but I thought I'd include how I got there and the tickets and all that stuff, because it has been such a gap, and I'm guessing some people are just starting to return to their nearest big cities, and may be interested in hearing how things changed. Okay, back to getting that ticket. In a nutshell, there are too many companies offering train tickets at wildly varying prices on extremely confusing websites. Some of those sites, notoriously Avantis, don't work at all that well, and they have the additional irritation of hitting you with a common scam of online booking fees, which I've talked about before in relation to cinema tickets also bought online in pod 495. In the end, I had to use National Rail's website to book the ticket on an Avanti train, which then skipped over the bits that weren't working on the Avanti site and took me straight to the payment section and then it worked and it also turned out to be cheaper. Avanti. And by the way, I took the Avanti train because it is the fast train from where I live. Avanti are the company that took over from Virgin. So it's a fast train and it's air-conditioned and all that stuff. And so, to the day of the journey. Around 4am on Saturday morning, because I was a bit excited and I couldn't really sleep, I packed my bag. As it turns out, it was not great packing. I didn't pack the right things, as would become evident later in the day. I brought a mask, hand sanitizer, a cotton hoodie, a book, the restaurant at uh, the end of the universe, which I'm reading at the moment, a decades-old dog-eared mini London A to Z. Again, if you're reading the blog post that accompanies this, I've scanned in an excerpt of one of the pages that shows you some of my route. I also took with me a printout of the route from Google Maps, and also a bottle of water. I took other things, but that about sums up the important things that I packed in my little day sack. Then I did manage to get to sleep, and so only a few hours later, and still very, very dozy, I was dropped off at the station. Generously, thank you, Mum. Out 
outside the station, there was this huge bus queue blocking the way in, and I had to go through that queue. As I tried to do that, a very paranoid couple, thinking I was a queue jumper, charged at me as I bumbled through, but eventually I did get through and I got into the entrance of the station. I had a look at the departure monitors to see what platform my train was going from, and then I got to the barriers. As mine was an e-ticket that I bought online, that meant I had a PDF of the ticket. On it there was a QR code. I waved the image of the QR code on my phone to the scanners on the barriers. In theory, this whole process of online booking your tickets and then getting the e-tickets and then not having to queue anywhere, just going to the barriers and having your ticket scanned on your smartphone is a more streamlined affair, should be more efficient, save you time. I do wonder, however, how older people deal with all this tech. Yes, you could still go analog if you enjoy waiting and paying well over the odds as well. It seems like a punishment for people who want to live in the analog world. On the other hand, I did see quite a lot of old people who were going somewhere and didn't seem to have any problem at all, so I don't know. Maybe it depends on the person, but it does seem like the modern world is a little bit unfair. Finally, the 0855 train arrived. It was ostensibly a reservation only and a quiet coach. In fact, when I was buying the ticket, I was forced to reserve a seat. In practice, however, it was nearer those things. As I boarded and then walked to my seat, I found my seat occupied. <laughs> That's just great. I apologised profusely at least three times. I don't know what the hell's wrong with me. But eventually I got my nice window seat. There was very little argument. I just showed my ticket and the person moved. But they might not have, and that has happened to me before. And as I said last time, maybe the time before, and then the last time, I have been having a bit of a time and my confidence isn't high and my anxiety is very high. So I pat myself on the back for actually getting my seat. That was the first obstacle, actually getting your seat, and then quietness. Well, let's talk about that. As for quiet, everyone on the quiet carriage was gabbling like excited poultry. I could hear every sodding conversation in the carriage and music from leaky earphones permeated. The chap next to me had those stupid thanks a lot Apple white type earphones that just leaked sound everywhere and I had to listen to every damn thing he was doing. I think he was playing a game, it was very annoying. I had seen Avanti staff when I was boarding, but they were conspicuously absent for the entirety of the trip, which is one way to minimise friction between staff and passengers. 
As we bulleted towards London, lightning pierced the sky, Donneran Blitzen, and there was a brief flurry of heavy rain. And we also arrived about 20 minutes late. We were supposed to arrive uh, around 40 minutes or so. It actually took us an hour because what happened was the incredibly fast 125 mile an hour train slowed to a crawl that you probably could have overtaken on a bicycle once it crossed into Greater London. I don't know what that was about, but it was extremely frustrating. At least the train was air-conditioned and comfortable, which is one of the reasons I take Avanti, despite those disadvantages I mentioned before. And when I got to London, man, it was hot. That was a hot day. It was hot, and it was also sticky. London, like many megapolises, is built on a river, the River Thames, snaking through a marshy floodplain. It's a humid place at the best of times, and despite Mayor Khan's traffic reduction measures, his many traffic reduction measures and the congestion charging and all that stuff, it still has this really cloying atmosphere that will gleefully smother and drown your mucous membranes. And so my body, soaking in the familiar gooey soup of the big smoke, I began my march. Let me tell you about my route. It was fairly simple. I worked it out on Google Maps before I went. It was, however, a little ambitious, because as I've said a few weeks ago, I'm not in the best physical shape. More on that later. Let me just tell you about the route. It would incorporate the Doric Arch Pub, the British Museum, Hamleys, Forbidden Planet, Foils, Chinatown, Leicester Square, the National Portrait Gallery, Trafalgar Square, Charing Cross, The Strand, Covent Garden, Cleopatra's Needle, and St Paul's Cathedral. Let me explain that a bit. The Doric Arch Pub is one of the first pubs I regularly started going to when I returned to the UK at least a decade ago now. The reason for that pub was I used to attend a National Union of Journalists union meeting in the building opposite, the Quaker building. And we would afterwards decant to the pub. And so that pub, even when I wasn't doing anything journalism-related, became a favourite pub. And also, it's at Euston Station, so I arrived there. It's very convenient, and it's the station that I go for. And inside the pub, they've got a monitor showing you the departure timetable. That's the reason for that pub. And also, it... <laughs> has become something of a favourite. I've even taken my mum there, and when I go there, I have two favourite chairs, these big wing-back fake leather armchairs that have been there for years. At least I think they've been there for years. Maybe they've changed them, but there are still two big wing-back vinyl things in an overlooking window, so you can look out onto... Well, not much, really. 
the bus station and people walking past. That was one of the first pubs. And then, of course, in my local area, there was a Weatherspoons. And then after that, I got used to British pubs again. And then I'd go to any pub I liked after that. Mostly. Some you want to avoid. Uh, that's a completely different story. The British Museum, I've been going there since I was a child. Hamleys, I've been going there since I was a child. Forbidden Planet, I have gone to each of the Forbidden Planet since I was a teen. The current one has moved from a different location, and that one, I think, moved from a different location as well. And perhaps there were other places, but it isn't the original one that I remember. Or the original one for me, the earliest one that I went to, is far less nerdy and it's really very, very commercial. Foils, a bookshop I've been going to since I was a child, Chinatown, a place that I've visited since my teens, Leicester Square, again, visited that place since I was a child, saw a few premieres there with my mum. The National Portrait Gallery used to be a place I'd stop midway through my walks in London because I had a nice rest area with big comfortable chairs. Those chairs have gone, but it is a sentimental place and I've fallen asleep in that gallery once as well. <laughs> I've talked about that on the podcast. The staff thought I'd died. <laughs> Trafalgar Square as well, another place I've been to since childhood. Charing Cross was my regular station into and out of London when I lived in South London. The Strand, just because. Covent Garden, not a particularly sentimental place, but such a, an important place in London, I thought I'd just pop in. Cleopatra's Needle, a place that I often sit by and eat my sandwiches. I've done that again for decades, and St. Paul's Cathedral, because it has been quite a while since I've been there. That was my route. So I did start my route, and predictably, because something's got to go wrong, my first stop at the Doric Arch Pub, and the Doric Arch Pub was closed. I tried the doors, but yeah, it was definitely closed. It's a bit odd. More about that later. So I continued walking, and via Gower Street, I arrived at the British Museum, only to find that you could no longer just saunter in. There are two entrances, as far as I know, at the British Museum. There's the main one that everyone knows, the main gate, and there's one on the side, that's the, let's see, the right side, if you're facing the museum. Both those entrances now have extremely long queues that you have to wait in, and on that day, it was extremely hot and bright, and the air was musty and tacky. It looked very uncomfortable for the tourists. I feel a bit sorry for them. I did try and get in on the front and found the same thing, like I said, another huge queue and the queue started outside so even the queue at the front started outside the gates 
that meant I couldn't even get to the front steps. Because in the past, you had your bags searched when they started all that nonsense inside the museum, in the foyer. Now you can't even do that. You can't even approach the steps. You have to go through security at the gates. Which was sad, because... On and off, I've regularly parked my backside on those steps and ate my sandwiches and have just done a little people watching and you get a nice breeze and it's shady. Couldn't do that. Uh, I've done that for almost half a century. I did take a selfie, though. And if you want to see that, have a look in the show notes for this episode. Well, show notes, it's really a blog post for that trip. After taking my selfie, I saw that I was quite near Museum Street. And Museum Street holds some memories for me. One of the most important, I suppose is the Atlantis Bookshop, which is possibly the most famous occult bookshop in the UK. I do have a keen interest in the occult, subculture and history, and this shop has history. It was even the meeting place of Gerald Gardner's Wiccans at one time. In any case, I have fond memories of the family-run place and had a brief, if somewhat slightly befuddled on my part chat with a current owner who said I probably spoke to her mother the last time I visited, which would make sense because the current owner is quite young. I've talked about my interest in all things occult. Look, I am a fairly sceptical person, but I'm open-minded. I find the whole thing quite interesting. The reason that I have this interest is twofold, really. It's partly my mum, who took me to some kind of spiritual and occult convention sometime in the 80s. And also because when she was studying for her business course at what was, at the time, Southbank Poly, I, as a teen schoolboy, after school would sometimes go and meet her, and then we'd go home together. While I would wait for her at the Poly, I'd wait for her in the library, and that library had a fantastically full occult section which was hardly used. I do remember that none of the books ever seemed to be taken out except by me. Ah, it was great. I had access to all this stuff. I (laughs) was never questioned as to why I was staring at all these strange and esoteric books of the occult. And I must have looked like some kind of evil version of Harry Potter in my school blazer and my Hanging down here. Mm. I should really post that picture sometime. (laughs) Yeah. So that was nice. Popping into the Atlantis bookshop. I didn't take a selfie. Because it's such a small shop. And as I was speaking to the owner, it would have been a bit weird to 
take a selfie with someone who doesn't know me. And besides, I didn't really think about it. I suppose I could have waited until the person went back in the shop and just took a general selfie from the outside. But it was something extra to my itinerary, and I just didn't think about taking a photo. I moved on after that, and somehow accidentally stumbled into one of the places on my itinerary, the Forbidden Planet bookshop. I don't know how I got there, but I was pretty pleased that I did. I almost missed it, because I just came across it. In what direction, I have no idea. So I again took a quick selfie, had a nonchalant browse inside at its mostly overpriced tat, to be honest, and then I was off. The next stop was Covent Garden. I'm absolutely not sure at all how I got there, but I somehow did get there. I took a snapshot of myself in front of a decorative flower cart. I couldn't really get any closer than that, because on the other side of the flower cart, there was this bellowing, angry street performer haranguing the crowd. He was really annoyed. What was wrong with him, but maybe he wasn't getting enough money in the bucket. And onwards. Next stop was Leicester Square, where I walked into the gardens in the centre of Leicester Square, took a picture of myself with a blurry Shakespeare in the background. Oh my god, automatic phone cameras, what a pain. That was followed by a less blurry picture. I turned around and on the grass took a picture of me with the Empire in the background. And I moved on again, stopping at Piccadilly Circus, because by that time I was extremely foot sore, ankle, knee and hip sore as well. I went into the boots for painkillers, paracetamol and Red Bull. The moment I exited the shop, there was a sudden pelting deluge that came down and everyone hid just round the corner. Left of the exit to boots is a sort of cubby that was, I think at one time, a doorway to a shop. I hid under there, took my paracetamol and Red Bull, waited for the cataclysmic opening of the heavens to turn into a slightly more manageable drizzle, and then moved on. For only a couple of minutes, according to the times on my photographs, Because what I found was a remarkably relevantly named Man in the Moon Passage street sign where I took a couple of photographs to emphasise my amazing chin. I don't think I got the position quite right. It's quite hard to take a selfie with a lens at one end and I was in a bit of a rush. And there were also people sitting at a table at some kind of cafe quite near, so I wanted to get out of there quick. But I did get a photo. 
Yes, I have a pointy chin. That was only according to the photograph metadata three minutes after Piccadilly Circus. Oh yeah, and by the way, at Piccadilly Circus I did take another photograph, another selfie, with the statue of Eros in the background. And okay, after the Men in the Moon passage, I walked up Regent Street to Hamleys, which was a lot further up Regent Street than I thought. I don't know what happened to my route at this stage. I'd somehow completely passed Hamleys, so I had to walk all the way back up Regent Street. I took a selfie and then made my way into the shop through a clowning cast, and inside the shop they had a guy demonstrating a buzzy flying thing. I was going to have a closer look, but honestly I was pretty tired. So I just went in and out and satisfied myself with that selfie. It took me, let's see, six minutes to get there from Piccadilly Circus. And then, of course, I had to walk back in the same annoying direction to get to Trafalgar Square. Let's see. At 12.14. So that means, let's see, the picture that I took at Hamleys was at 11.41. Wow, it took me not quite half an hour to get to Trafalgar Square from Hamleys. Thank God for the painkiller. Again, I took a selfie with Nelson's column poking out the top of my head unintentionally at Trafalgar Square. I say unintentionally because that's never the kind of photo I'd take. That's the kind of photos that tourists take. I did it by accident. From Trafalgar Square, I went on to Charing Cross. And you may have noticed now, I've already been to Leicester Square. Uh, done all this other stuff, uh, Trafalgar Square, that means I've missed the National Portrait Gallery. Well, the thing is, I thought if there's a queue for the National Gallery, which I could see at Trafalgar Square, and there's also a big queue for other attractions like the British Museum, there's going to be a queue to get into the National Portrait Gallery, and by this time I just couldn't take any more of this nonsense. So I went to Charing Cross because that is also a sentimental place. It is the place where I would wait for my train to go back to South London when I lived there. And also it would be the train that I would arrive on when I used to live in South London. I walked through the station and I did notice that the Burger King was closed. So I went to WH Smith and asked what had happened to the Burger King. The chap I asked said that the place had closed even before he started working there a couple of years ago. Only the sign for Burger King remains. I cannot tell you how many spicy bean burger meals I have enjoyed at that place back in the day. Ah, it was a bit sad to see it go.
I did take a picture, by the way, before I got into Charing Cross. Again, you can see that on the blog post. After that, inside the station, down those steps, and onto the very damp embankment gardens. Not my favourite place. Kind of smells damp and not that great at the best of times. There, on my way to Cleopatra's Needle, I went through the park, I encountered a washed-out youth orchestra who had obviously been caught in the rain and had had to either cancel or postpone their whatever they were doing, something musical. There were a lot of people. I had to bumble my way through the crowd. Again, it wasn't too bad, but there were a lot of people milling around. Finally, at 12.32, I was at Cleopatra's Needle. Man, they really have to give that needle back to Egypt and just replace it with a copy. It's not the most complex of structures. It would be easy to replace. But repatriation of dodgily acquired objects by the British Empire aside... At 12.32, I was thoroughly exhausted, very squidgy from rain and sweat. Ah, earlier on that day, my loose slipper-like trainers became unbearable, and rubbing my feet, I had to tighten them up to try and support my foot and stop rubbing, and I was just soaked in sweat and rain. At that point, I threw in the towel that I wish I had brought, but hadn't. Yeah, that wasn't something I'd packed. I wish I had something to kind of get the rain off my head and face. I used to carry one of those Indian shawls everywhere, like a scarf. I didn't have that. I wish I had that. I thought to myself at that stage, so tired, sod any more walking, and I headed for the Embankment Underground Station. Even though it was a bit early for my 1.30 lunch appointment. At the Tube Station, for the first time in years and years, I had to think about how to buy a ticket. I used to have an Oyster card. I didn't bring it with me. It's probably invalid by now. I didn't think I'd be using it. I thought I'd just be walking. But that was obviously too ambitious a goal. So I did go to the ticket machine and there were a couple of choices. There was either an all-day all-zone travel card, which cost around £16. What the hell happened to travel cards? And a single ticket, which cost about £7. A single ticket! A bit alarmed, I went to a fellow who was working there, a particularly excellent fellow, Thank you, that TFL worker, who was very helpful in explaining how I could purchase cheaper tickets by using a credit card at the barrier, because I didn't have an Oyster card, rather than from that phenomenally expensive ticket machine. Apparently you can't get a one-zone card. I've forgotten all this stuff. Hopefully this was cheaper. I'll find out when I check my bank statement if it was, in fact, cheaper. I hope it was. 
because I spent a lot of money that day on not very much. Which brings us to my lunch appointment. I took another selfie when I got to the lunch place, just to <laughs> prove to myself that I actually got there and I was so relieved. Oh, I look really tired in that picture. Because I was. And there I had a well-deserved rest. Over the course of a few hours, I <laughs> bought two gin and tonics and a very small lunch, all of which was hideously overpriced. The lunch itself and the company was okay, had quite a convivial lunch and a nice natter, and after all of that, I limped the entire way back to the tube on failing joints. By that time, every part of my body was completely buggered. When I got out of the underground, I got to Euston train station, where I found that the Doric Arch pub was now open, and I went in there for further fortification. I didn't partake in libations, rather I partook in another Red Bull and another painkiller. I did ask the bartender what time they opened. He told me that I must have missed their opening time by only a few minutes earlier that morning. In that pub, I walked over to the window, sat in my favourite chair, took a selfie, chilled out for a while. There was a departure board in there so I could check when my train was due, and then left the pub. The return in what purported to be, again, the quiet carriage at 18 minutes past six in the evening was similarly cursed with being as ironic as it was on the way in. This time, someone's phone blared music throughout. No, not even headphones. He just let it all go. I suppose he thought there were very few people in the carriage, completely ignoring me, thanks a lot. And he just let that music blare throughout the journey. At least the journey back was faster. There was no greater London slowdown. So I don't know what that was about earlier. And finally the train came into my station as I was preparing to alight. I got up and started walking towards the exit. Found that my way was barred by a cable. I apologised profusely for the inconvenience of the same music blarer who had to then suffer the inconvenience of having to disconnect the charging cable strung across the aisle. The staff, again, were aboard, but, as was the case in the morning, they seemed to assiduously avoid any contact with passengers. Thanks a lot, Avanti. I caught a cab from the station, Collapsed at home, oddly animated, probably buoyed by the painkillers and the Red Bulls, and excitedly babbled about my adventures to slightly bemused elders. And then went to bed and promptly fell asleep and just went out like a light.
So tired, so, so tired. And thus, I have related to you a quest to reconnect with my city. It became something of a death march towards the end, with me hunched over and grimacing in pain at every step, and I do mean that literally. I'm not being flowery, I'm not being purple. When I came out of the tube station nearest to the train station for my return journey, there are a set of steps. I was literally hunched over. Most of my lower body was killing me, my hips particularly. As I said previously, I spoke to a physio a few weeks ago, said there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. Well, I beg to differ. My hips, my knees, my ankles, my feet, my right shoulder, my lower back, it's a mess. It can't all be just being out of shape. Oh, it was painful. Shamefully, I also had to accept directions from kind strangers. There was a young northern chap who saw me squinting into my small print mini London A to Z. There was a postwoman from somewhere warm who gave me directions laughing. And also a kind Italian barber who went as far as opening up his smartphone and showing me where to go. Now, yes, I did have a smartphone with me, but like I said, I'm on a very cheap tariff, which can get very expensive if you use data. Perhaps that is something I've got to consider, or maybe just photograph the maps so that I can blow them up on my phone rather than squinting like Mr. Magoo. I've got to do something, but those strangers were very kind, and I appreciate their help. I say shamefully, though, because as each person would help me, I would say frequently how I'm a lapsed Londoner. I didn't say lapsed. I said, I'm actually from London. I'm just a bit rusty. Words to that effect, you know? Just making excuses and just generally being ashamed. So, yeah, that mini A to Z was only partly useful. The small print was barely legible to my ageing eyes. It wasn't all bad, though. There were pluses. I didn't see everything that I set out to see, but I saw far more than I thought I would. And though it has taken me a week, and I'm still recovering, actually... I'm doing this again. Of course I am. I'll be much better prepared next time because a cotton hoodie and a battered paperback book are no match for Indra. Oh, so rainy, so wet, so hot. Just didn't have any of the right equipment. It was a great day. (laughs) I don't mean that sarcastically. I mean really, because... It has been just so long since I've been back, and it felt like a return. What was that film with Joe Don Baker? Was it Mungo's Back in Town? (laughs) Ah, yeah, 
So, that is it. Thus ends my adventures in London. I had to pause there to think about what I did. My feet are killing me again now. Ah, okay, hopefully this will be easier to edit. Hopefully, fingers crossed, because I've recorded on the SM7B. We'll see how clicky it is. But for now, that's it. I did warn you that this podcast encompasses other stuff than the normal stuff. Variety is nice, though, and I hope you enjoyed taking this trip with me. The show that you've just listened to is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Matur, a writer. Matur is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at RoyMatur.com if you want to help. Please review and rate the show favorably on whatever platform you listen. Recommend it to a friend or mortal enemy. Or click on the contact or support link on the website. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. You were listening to Captain Roy's Rusty Rocket Radio Show, the UK geek science fiction, fantasy and horror podcast, usually. Episode 496, recorded on Saturday the 15th of July 2023, and the time at the end of the show is... 01.37.27. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye for now. Bye!